Uh, God is good. Amen. Uh, the tough topics today is on sexuality. I did ask for a PG-13, not because I'm going to be vile or anything, but I just think I don't, I don't want to adulterify some young kid who's not thinking about these things to get him to think about them. Um, you know, there's a scripture that says, you know, don't arouse, you know, love or sex, whatever, um, before it's time. And so we, we just protect the kids of, you know, um, not having to think about it. They can think about other things. And um, I also want to ask if you would give me grace today. And here's what I'm asking for. Um, I'm not going to say everything perfectly, okay? Amen? Amen. I will not say everything perfectly. I will do the best I can. I'm not going to cover every angle of this topic. I have a limited amount of time. So this isn't a year course on sexuality. This is a, you know, a 40-minute talk that I'm going to do the best I can and then with questions. If you're a guest here and you don't know me, um, <laughs> and yeah, just get over it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> is, you know, when I get nervous about something or just my regular part of my personality tends to be humorous. Um, I do not want to disrespect anybody or anyone, no matter what your background is. Um, so just know that ahead of time. And if you did know me, trust me, we, we could be friends. So I will just say that. And so I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to get right into my introduction here. My introduction will take um, probably about six, seven minutes um, because I want to say some things right off the top, okay, because we are talking about sexuality. And guess what? I live in America, okay? So I I know what America, what the current issues, what's the important issues of the day in the world's eyes, and then I know God and his desire for redemption and his desire to lead people to himself. So uh, I've kind of just prepared a few things that I want to say at the beginning, although I'll ad lib, but it just kind of a little guidance there to, to get me started. So f- open your heart, would you, to the Lord. Father, I, I ask that you would give me your words to speak today. Lord, I pray that you'd give me a heart and your people, a heart after you. Draw us close to you. Lord, I know how tough this issue is. Lord, and I know how confusing and real, Lord, um, the sexual relationship is. Lord, I know its feelings, its emotions. And Lord, I know what it's like uh, before marriage because uh, um, that was my life before. And Lord, I know... um, that people struggle with all kinds of um, issues, trying to understand who they are. And I want to be able to communicate from your word, Lord, truth and life, that while some can be challenged, Lord, I know that it'll bring truth and it'll bring life. I pray that you give me the words to speak. Lord, there's no arrogance here. I just pray, Lord, that you give me and you let your word have life in it, have power in it. Lord, give us open hearts, hearts to hear what the Spirit says. In Jesus' name, can I hear amen? Amen. All right. So let's get started. Can everyone just say amen? Amen. Uh, I just want to make sure you're awake and and ready to go. Um, 
I'm going to try to engage with you, um, but I do. I want to. I have a couple, six or seven. It'll stay on that introduction, but I'll be. I'll be talking for just a little bit because there's some things I want to make sure that I communicate right. So I, I want to say this on behalf of our church, and I can't say this for every church that claims to be Christian. It reminds me of, you know, Hitler. You know, had helmets and he had little crosses on it. I was talking to an atheist once, and he said, "Hitler was a Christian." And I go. Putting a cross on the side of your helmet while you're killing Jews does not make you a Christian, okay? So, and I can't claim to speak on everyone who just names the name Christian or I believe in God and then just says whatever they want on what they feel and what they think. I'm trying to communicate as a Christian who believes that the Bible is the infallible and errant word of God. I believe it's inspired. I spent two weeks the last two weeks, and I told you that this was going to be an inductive message. That means the message would build on each other. I started by talking about where the Bible came from and what makes it so incredibly unique in its survivability, in its circulation, um, in its transmission, and the incredibleness of the Bible, why it's reliable, even in scientific views and other. Then I took evolution from, uh, you know, universe evolution, chemical evolution, planetary evolution. I went through the fossil record. I went through the genetic um, I challenged the uh, genetic uh, duplication that life came from no life, and I looked at simple genetics and the protein coding part of the gene and challenged that it, no life can come from no life. And I showed it in probabilities. I showed it in chemical reaction. And we are now starting some YouTube videos that we're going to start challenging these things all over the Internet. So having said that, I do not believe we are just chemicals that are randomly working in motion with no souls. I believe that we are human beings that do have genetic traits that we do pass on from father and mother, but I don't believe that we evolved from nothing and became something and then little by little we worked our way up, but that, we, that God made mankind fully formed. And if you think that's difficult to imagine... If God just even made a cell, if you go, well, I just believe God made a cell, that cell is incredibly complicated, okay? So it's not any much bigger a stretch to imagine that God made it, and that's made the whole human being, and that we've adapted within our kind up to that point, that dogs have all kinds of adaptation within the dog, and so forth with all the animals. And when God made mankind, he made them and put a soul in them, a living soul. The Bible says he created our inmost being. In other words, we're not driving by a chemist, we're not driven by our chemistry. Like my DNA doesn't say if I'll kick you or not. You know, I'm, I walk down there to Rob and I kick him and I, he said, why'd you kick me? Sorry, man, it was my genetic strand number 304,052. You know, I didn't know that C and the G would be in line. I thought it would be an A and a T. Otherwise, I wouldn't have kicked you, Right. So I don't believe we're driven by our chemistry. That doesn't mean that I don't believe that we have certain kinds of character traits. People think when they say humans and chimpanzees have similar genetics, they're only talking about the 5% of protein coding parts of the DNA. So the 5%. So in other words, we have the same similar amino acids. That's so we can eat the same food. God made it so we can eat bananas and the chimp can eat bananas. But we are entirely different body plants. So when God makes humans, he makes us with a living soul in the sense that reflects his image. Do I hear an amen? amen. Now, I'm going to be talking about sex today. 
So I want you to know that I, going by the Bible, I understand the tension between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That the Old Testament with the Israelites as a nation and now us in the New Testament as the people, believers in, in Christ. That the Old Testament had a lot of laws and rules and regulations in the Old Testament to help the Israelites survive and also, you know, laws of right and wrong, like making God first, not cheating on your spouse, not being a liar. There are all these kinds of things, and I've done plenty of series on the Ten Commandments uh, through my time here. But I don't believe that we get saved by following the Ten Commandments, okay? I'm not going to put the Ten Commandments on the door and tell people, these are our code of ethics, and this is what we do as Christians, as if... Christianity was a mere set of rules. It's not. How many know that these, this New Testament points us to Christ? How many know that some of these laws, like loving the Lord with all your heart, mind, and strength, not having a, a spirit of murder or anger or rage, not gossiping and not slandering, all the things, no pride, things that God wants us to have instead of lust, love, all these things. How many know that we can't do this in our own power? Right? We're reliant on the Lord delivering us. But he saves us through the cross and fills us with the Spirit, and then he changes from the inside out. Okay, So I believe the Old Testament laws do reflect a sense of morality of what God believes about it. But in the New Testament, Jesus fulfills that by a sacrifice, and by his blood we're washed clean. It's called the New Covenant. Amen? How many want to be saved? Come on, raise your hand high. Just say, I need the blood of Christ. Almost done, say, to wash away my sin. And I just make this confession, say, because I have sin that needs washing. Okay, then we're on a good starting ground here. Now, while we're, we're created, I said that image has been marred by our own sin. Now, like I said, the last couple weeks, um, I've made the historical, archaeological, existential, and scientific arguments. I use Einstein's theory for the expansion of the universe, why stars are so far away, gravitational time dilation. I examine the fossil record to show that evolution has flaws. That while there is microevolution happening, we're not evolved. I say that so that when we talk about sex, you're not going to tell me that your chemistry is telling you what you are. God is the one who knows what you are. And I'm telling you, God has a deep love for you no matter what your background is, no matter what kind of sex you're engaged in right now. God has a heart for you. And he knows you. And he accepted me where I was. And he will take me. And there's, when coming to God, there is a surrender that we do that we say, Lord, we give up everything. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. And he who tries to find his life is going to lose it. So everything I share today will be grounded in the Bible, what it says. Now, let me just make this clear. I have no political agenda or political motives at all. Okay? There's not going to be a rally. There's not a beat. I didn't time this for the vote. There's no get out the vote. There's, I'm not against voting. I think Romans 13 says there's a responsibility to do the right thing and vote with your conscience. But I'm just saying, I'm not a Republican, I'm not a Libertarian, I'm not a Democrat, I'm not a Green Party, I'm not Red Party, I'm not Blue Party. All right, maybe Purple Party. No, I'm kidding. I don't know what that is. But I have no political agenda. Did you hear me? Do you believe me? Okay. I am just an imperfect, 
Christian pastor trying to tell you what I believe the Bible teaches. Okay? So, let me just say this. If you are in same-sex relationship or in, you know, some alternative relationship sexually, I want to tell you right now that the church does not hate you. Okay? The church. This church, the church, God's church does not hate you. I don't hate you. God doesn't hate you for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And whoever believes in him won't perish, you know, but have everlasting life. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn it because he could have and he could have started with me. But he came to the world to save it. So I want you to know how incredible God's love is. And I want you to know, too, that my past struggles, I am not a picture perfect of sexual purity. Okay? I am not. I am growing in every single thing like you're growing probably ahead of you in some areas. And, you know, who knows? My life in my past has been filled with all kinds of sexual impurity and debauchery. I'm just going to say it from the beginning. And if you think this is my favorite thing to do, it's not. But I've lived in lust, licentious sex, porn, prostitution, drugs, self-sex, sexually transmitted diseases, and the like. And let me just tell you, it has brought me very, very great destruction. Although God is faithful. Even in my marriage to Jody, while we deeply love and care about each other, we are still in process. We do not have a perfect love and sex life. So if you think that I'm up here demonstrating that I am the, the, the example of perfect sexual purity, I'm not. But Christ is. Christ's reflection. We are a, we are a growing people. God has delivered me from all kinds of things. And I've seen all kinds of healing in my life. But I don't want to come up here on some kind of high horse. I wasn't raised with any specific sexuality deemed as right or wrong. My parents were from Holland. They were from Indonesia. They didn't have any, this is right, this is wrong. They were very much more, there was nudity in my house. There was a lot of do whatever you want to do. My dad always said, whatever you want to be, it doesn't matter. You can have sex with the dog if you want. I don't care. My dad, my dad had no boundaries that way. If he did, he didn't communicate them that way. It was always freedom was the highest virtue in the land. And I'm telling you, there's a, quite a contrast. In, in the world, the highest morality that we have right now in our world, compared to what God's morality, and I'll give you God's first, God's highest morality is purity and holiness, love, truth, patience, all these things of God, relationship with him. The highest virtue we have right now in the world is you should let everyone have sex any way they want. That seems to be the order of the day, as if that's the highest order. Sex, and it's not that sex doesn't have love, and I understand that these love relationships are real. I'm not trying to diminish what, what you experience. Now, to be candid, I've never been drawn personally, and just be honest, to homosexual tendencies. Although I've had friends and I feel for those who do. And I just say all these things about sex and my own life with it. With, of sex and debauchery. I'm the last person to judge anybody. Okay? 
I'm the last person to judge. Trust me on this. I am the last person to make a judgment on someone because I know my own heart and I know what God's had to do to purify my life. Are you with me? Okay. Now, I want you to know, so let me make this statement. No matter what relationship you're presently in, okay, because how many know God accepts us where we are? Okay? If you're living in a seemingly good marriage that's in process or an awful and betrayed marriage or you've just been in one bad relationship after another, if you're living in a same-sex relationship right now, two males or two females, or a polygamous relationship, if you're living together unmarried with someone, okay, and I'm not saying God approves of all these lifestyles, but remember, there's a lot of things that God does not approve. You know, God does not approve of gossip and slander. And do you know that our whole television market is built around gossip and slander? But I'm just saying is that no matter what your background, let me say this clearly so it doesn't get misunderstood. And let me say it emphatically. God absolutely loves you. He came to save you. He came to restore your soul, to rescue you to heal you. He created you. He knows who you really are. He's not going to let the world, your sin, your pain, my sin, my pain, define who I am, define who you are. We can't have our identity come from what our flesh wants. Listen, if you've ever been, you know, to, to the mall or been to the beach or been somewhere and you've seen someone that you find, I don't want to have a show of hands, but if you've seen someone that you find attractive, whether it was same sex or opposite sex, you cannot define yourself to say, wow, I'm attracted to those three people, so I must be polygamous, right? <laughs> not according to God. God says that our identity is not found by examining our chemistry and our flesh and seeing what we desire and then pinpointing a label with us and then that label becomes the image that we see as who we are and then we begin to pursue it. He's saying, no, I am your pursuit. Do I hear amen? Amen. Now listen, there is no way to come to God except for one way and that is surrender. That means surrender everything that you are. You can't come to God with an agenda. God, I want to come to you, but I'm, I, I pretty much want to control my whole life. Now, I know you'll want to control your life anyway. So did I. But God will make you give up everything because when you let go of everything, you can ask God for anything. Amen? Now, if you're not a believer and you're listening to me right now, I'm going to encourage you to practice a humanist, non-judgmental view and be a good listener. Even if you disagree with what the Bible says, at least you'll learn what the Bible says. Okay? And you'll get an understanding. Uh, I want to encourage you not to run out or turn off your mind because you hear one thing that might disagree with what you believe. If you're open-minded and you see us as closed-minded, I encourage you to be open-minded to a closed-minded view. Be courageous and hear the whole thing. I am trying my best to have God's heart and to share what he says in his word for you. 
I already know what it says. I'm trying to share it with you with the right heart, okay? And I will have questions afterwards. So let me get started, okay, um, with uh, letter A, okay? Just some, then I'll have three points here that I'm going to make. I'm going to be talking about, say it with me, say image. Can you say purpose? Can you say blessing? God wants to know what image he's made you to be and that there is purpose. He uses patterns like fruitfulness. They're, they're genetic. They're spiritual. They're emotional. They're physical. And then blessing. The result is a fruitfulness that, that results in a produce that is in your life. John, if you look at the bottom here, understanding the times we live in, I'll just have a few short letters here. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. The Lord speaks the truth. He declares what it's right. And Jesus is the reflection. He, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. They're, they're, the world doesn't accept necessarily God's perspective. They don't care about that. They care what the media says. They care. And, and I, I want you to weigh. When we talk about authority, and I'll talk about it in a minute. God's authority, how much does that weigh versus what the media says, what the universities say, what the colleges say, what your friends say? What's, what's more important? What do you, where do you put your faith? Because you're going to put your faith somewhere. The Bible says a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They'll follow their, say it with me, their own desires. And will look for teachers. They're going to look for someone. Tell me what you think. Well, this is what I think. This is what the Bible says. Oh, okay, hold on. They, they want to find someone who will say what they want to hear. The Bible says at that time comes, who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear or tickling ears, okay? Now, what's your authority on right and wrong, good and evil? Well, the first question is, is there such a thing as objective truth? Because subjective truth, subjective versus objective, subjective is based on what I think or what the group thinks. It's, it's based on us and the time and times that we lived in rather than it's always true. Like when the Bible says, you know, something that don't lie, it's always true. That doesn't mean that there aren't times where, you know, um, other truths compensate for a different truth. Like, you know, someone's lying and someone comes to my house and says, is your daughter, I'm going to kill your daughter. She's in the closet. Is she in the closet? My answer is no. She's not in the closet. Is that a lie? No. It's a protection for my daughter is what it is. It's, it's a weapon against someone who doesn't deserve my communication. That's not what we're talking about. It's talking about representing yourself honestly. Okay? Um, and doesn't everyone have their own truths? And I, people say this all the time. You know, there's no, there's no right and wrong. No one can determine. But the only thing is you shouldn't judge anyone else's right or wrong. Isn't that what you hear all the time? You know, you shouldn't judge anyone's right and wrong. And I've had people, they go, well... Your version of God's way being right and wrong, that's wrong. So it's wrong to judge other people's right. It's wrong to judge people's, other people's right and wrong. Yeah, it's wrong. But that's what you're doing. It becomes a circular logic argument. Okay? And there's supposed to be a tolerance in our society. Everybody has their views. But the problem is, is that sometimes we have opposing views that just have different you know, reasoning. And there are some people that think, well, the Bible's so old-fashioned. You know, why would we want to believe in the Bible? Okay, what do you believe in then? 
What's your authority? I'd like to know what it is. What's well, my opinion? Well, that, what's so good about your opinion? What gives your opinion any, any validity? I mean, you, when you were two, you couldn't ride a bicycle. When you were 10, you couldn't write a check. You still struggle in your relationships. Why should we trust you for what the whole universe says is right or wrong? I mean, what about you in your opinion? Well, it's not us. It's when we're all together. It's kind of a majority vote. Well, what well, makes more of losers coming together make it any better? Right? I'm talking about all of us, not just you. I'm saying just somehow there's got to be a morality of right and wrong that's above us. Right? It's a, it's a, there's the old story of Ravi Zacharias when he's speaking at Harvard and one of, the pa- one of the students said, well, if there's a God, why is there so much evil in this world? And Ravi said, okay, well, why don't you stand for just a second? He said, so you don't think there's a God because you're so evil, so much evil? And he goes, yep. And he goes, so you believe there's such a thing as evil? And he goes, well, yeah. And he goes, well, if there's such a thing as evil, then there's such a thing as good. And if there's such a thing as good and evil, that's a moral law. And if you think there's moral law, then there must be a moral law giver. But that's who you're trying to disprove. So your argument defeats itself. If you believe there's moral law, somehow that moral law came into existence. There's a moral law. And it has to be above you. So it proves that God is there. Listen. Objective truth is like logical truth. It has no place that's located. It's true because it's true. A is A and never not A if it is A. It's just one of the original laws of logic, the laws of identity. You know, you don't, if you say, where is that law? Well, someone may have written it down, but if you got rid of all the pieces of paper where it's written down, it still exists. Either something is A or it's not that A. It's either one or the other. All right. Is there objective right and wrong? We could go by our experiences. If it feels right or seems right, it's right. But how valid is that? You know what I mean? I can always rearrange what I define as right. Okay? What about our society? The media and the majority consensus. So a bunch of people coming together, like I said, how is that more right? Or our professors, what's their authority for what's right or wrong? And how about our religions? And then we get into the argument, well, which religion and which God? It becomes a dilemma. So let me ask you one question. Forget about all the religions for a moment. Forget the professors. If there was a God, there truly was a God, would it be okay for him to define what is good and evil? Right? Now, I understand because there are people that will say, well, yeah, he can, he can decide. It's his universe. But they go, listen, it's my body. It's my genitals. Can't I use them the way that I want? And I go, okay. But, but it's God's creation. Can't he do with it what he wants? How many say amen? Is that logical to you? If God created all things... He is able to do with it what he wants. Now, thank God he's good. Amen? Because God could use it for evil, but thank God he isn't because he is good intrinsically. Okay? Now, if you don't want to be considered evil, let me give you a really good solution. Just change the definition of evil. Okay? Wherever it is. Someone says, lying's evil, and you go, no, it's not. Lying's good. I lie, I'm good. Just call it something. Or write your own definitions of good and evil. Just write a new book. You know, call it the Bible instead of the Bible. You know what I mean? And come up with your own set of code of ethics. 
and determine that, but you and I will both know that you wrote it and you don't know anything. Right? Isaiah 5.20 says, What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. Okay? Now, understand here's this tension. Here's the false. I get the conclusion. How many would admit you're a sinner? Okay? I'm a sinner. How many would agree that God hates sin? Okay? So, the natural conclusion goes, well, then he must hate me. Right? I'm a sinner. God hates sin. He must hate, hate me. I cannot be valuable to him. People kind of interpret it this way. For God so hated the world that he wrote it down in a book and came to earth to tell the people how he hated them. He then watched them be completely frustrated and broken in their sin. Finally, he laughed and sent them to hell. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> right? That's, that, that's the world's view of John 3.16. But the truth is, on the other side, I am a sinner. God hates sin. Amen? But he loves me. And that's why he sent his son to take my place and pay for me. Why? Because I'm extremely valuable. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world which would have been so easy, right? Just think about your own life. Couldn't God have come and condemned? Couldn't he come into your family right now and condemn everybody, right? If you think you're God, we gossip and, have, and we have our own sin. What if God were to condemn our gossip and then not gossip himself? He didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Here's more tension. On one side, the scripture says, do not judge or you'll be judged. In the same way you judge others, you'll be judged. With the measure used, it'll be measured to, use, measured to you. So can everyone just say, don't judge? Okay. Right? right. In the, in the, the, the heart of this is don't judge like you're above it. I gave you the list of my own sins and debauchery for a reason. Not because I'm trying to identify with the group. It's humiliating to write any of those things down. But listen, the, the reason I can't judge, I can't go, well, you, me. You, me, you know, I can't do that. It's because I know my own flaws and my own weaknesses and my own past. I can't judge that way. But on the other side, it says the perfect, the person with the spirit of God, he can make judgments about all things because he knows he's been redeemed. He knows the forgiveness. That's, that's why I hate when people stand with those signs and they find, you know, a same-sex, you know, convention and they go, God condemns you. And I remember the first time someone ever shared Christ with me. It wasn't with love. It was at an ACDC Van Halen concert. <laughs> and I had done a couple hits of acid already and I was quite stoned. And I remember the Someone just running up to me and he goes, you're going to hell. Boy, was he wrong. <laughs> really drew me in. The Bible says God's kindness leads us toward repentance. Right? Amen? Okay. Now, all things are done for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. God points to himself as the standard. Why? Because he's a creator of all things. He's the source of all eternity. He's the standard, and he loves us. So here we get. We're going to get to the part of it. Can everyone say image? image. 
purpose, blessing. Okay? Now, let's start with the image. What is the biblical start of sex and marriage? God created mankind, say it with me, in his own image. So say it, say image. In the image of God, he created, can everyone say, them? Image? Them. Male and female, he created them. Okay? Image? Them. Okay, now, understand this. This is so important. We were designed to pursue and to be created and developed into God's image. We are image chasers. Okay? I, I, I promise you, if, if when you grew up and let's say you look at the image of your parents and you try to imitate them, whether they were positive or negative, maybe you gave up on, on them, one of them or both of them, then you picked a new image and you started to pursuing that image. And what happened is I, there's one God. Can everyone say one God? He's the creator. This is the Christian view. And he makes creation. We are the creation. We're the creatures. So instead of me looking to God, what is his image and him transforming me like he's doing today, trans, trying to transform me into his image? I started off by looking at the image of man and trying to imitate that trying to find an image that I could chase after. Sometimes I did it with sports teams, this sports hero. Or I did it with a, you know, a sex symbol or a rock star, and I go, oh, that, that's what I want to be. And, and what they did is what I wanted to do. We are driven internally to be an image, to chase after an image. The Bible says in Romans, it says, they chased after images rather than the creator. The created things rather than the create, creator himself. Created things. Now, we pursue this, we pursue these images because we were made to not only pursue the image, but worship the image, okay? And so we have all kinds of things that we pursue. And if you don't know God today, just, just let me ask you something. Is there something in your life that's above all other things? That's your object of worship. That's the thing you worship. If it's sex, if it's drugs, if it's whatever it is that you're chasing, I'm not saying it all has to be sex and drugs and rock and roll, but whatever it is that you're pursuing, that is the thing that you're worshiping and you will take your time and your heart and your purpose and you will serve that thing, whether it's a cause. And it's going to be a created thing. God wants to turn that around. Do I hear amen? amen. He wants you to serve the creator. And you think that this image that you're serving, you try to become its image, that when you finally become its image, you're going to go, yeah, I finally feel satisfaction. Nobody can tell me what to do. I'm free to express myself, whether it's sexually, physically, emotionally, whatever it is. And I'm telling you, it's a lie. It's not true. God is the creator of your soul. And that's why I told you, it doesn't matter what your background is now. It doesn't matter what you're doing right now. God loves you here and now. It's present. It's active. But he loves you enough not to keep you where you are. He's going to begin forming you into the image that he's made. Okay? How many say amen? amen. Haven't you read at the beginning... God made them female, male and female. This is Jesus quoting that same section back in Genesis. Jesus confirming it. 
for this reason. Why? At the beginning, he made a male and female. Okay? Can everyone say, for this reason? For this reason, a man's going to leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. Can everyone say them? Yeah. Image. Okay? Now, this is why it's so important. By the way, if you, you come from a background and you say, you know, we're living together, but we haven't quite made the commitment. Do you understand that God is using everything to show you who he is? Marriage, if it's a reflection of God and his people, that's the reflection that it is. Imagine if that relationship was like living together. I'm going to try things out with you, but I'm not sure. Imagine God came to you and he goes, well, let's try our prayer life together. See how it works. You know, it's like the guy who tells the girl, we want to see how the sex life is first. You know, we want to see how compatible we are. God says, well, I, you know, I don't know if I'm going to take you with me to eternity. That's a long time. So I'm going to. See, it's not that Christians are prudes. We understand. We understand sex. We know sex is good. Amen? Amen. It's not that. It's the fact that God is using all things to reflect what he's like. So he can't say yes to something that's a compromise. And if you think I'm just singling that out, it's your poor marriage too. And my poor marriage. God is always working on making it better because it never reflects the perfectness of who God is. And I'm not trying to demonstrate or tell you that there's this unhappy God goes, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. I'm telling you that God is in you saying, I'm going to make you like my son. I'm going to transpose you. He's going to give us more love, more joy, more peace, more patience. Because those are the things that steal away from my marriage. Less love, more lust, less joy, more happy rather than internal joy. Things that are the opposite of God's ways. They are no longer two but one flesh. At the original time, the Lord said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper. Can everyone just say suitable for him? Say image. Them. Okay, male and female brought together for this reason, to reflect him, that there is something about that. And so the helper suitable is like him. And so the story goes, this is why I debunked evolution first, God, because people think this story is a hokey story, you know, that God made man fully formed, and then he made the animals and he brings them to Adam. Yeah, it makes, that's ridiculous. It's much more, you know, plausible to think that everything came from nothing in a in a swamp and eventually wrote its own software code little by little sorry but that's funny <laughs> God brought the animals to the man to see what he would name them and whatever the man called each living creature that was its name he never looked at the giraffe and said there's my wife okay and it's important to understand because in our sexual culture today there are no boundaries very little so the man gave names to all the livestock, but he didn't marry any of them. The birds in the sky and all the wild animals. We have our first session of taxonomy. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found for him. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And by the way, if you're looking for a spouse, maybe it's time to take a deep sleep. Right? Be devoted to the Lord. He took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place of his flesh, and he took the Lord... The Lord God made a woman from the rib and he took what he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. Now, 
I want to say just a couple things because some women get insulted by this. They go, well, females were made out of man. We're kind of like his little helpmate. Man comes from the dirt. (laughs) After God made the insects. doesn't mean one or the other. Do you understand understand that? And God made man fully formed. And and when he says, husbands love your wives, wives respect your husbands, there is a mutuality of coming together where it's the representation of a love relationship that's not just sexually driven, but love driven. And, And listen, we all have pictures of imperfect love relationships and sometimes that deters people and sometimes people, you know, a woman or a man, they're in that relationship and they finally give up on it. They go, this is, this is, this is a terrible thing. There's no good relationship. You can't trust anybody. It's true. But you can't trust God. And God's power can work. Jody and I would have got divorced a thousand times had it not been for the Lord and he developed a real deep love relationship with us because it was his power. He brought her to the man, okay? And by the way, he created the male and female and blessed them. And now, what did he name this male and female? It's not the male Adam and the woman Eve. He named this male and female Adam, mankind. Just say, we are Adam. We are Adam. We are Adam. Now this is, say it with me, image. Remember, we're image chasers. You're going to imitate, chase the creatures, chase the creation, imitate that. They have sex that way. I, I, maybe I should. Maybe that'll be my identity. Your flesh and your desires are never a good metric for who you are. God is the best definer of who you are. Amen? Can you say image? Can you say them? Okay. Now, he created our inmost being. That's what he says. He knit us together. We're not driven by chemicals or chemistry. As if, my example of kicking Rob, you know what I mean? And he goes, why'd you do that? My DNA strand number 374,562. You know, why did you do that? Because of this. And uh, trust me, there are evolutionists that absolutely believe that. It is absolute, utter nonsense. You have choice in your life. All right, image. Can everyone say purpose? Okay, now, this is some key, key parts here. There is a pattern and fruit in God's creation. God blessed, can everyone say them? Okay, say image, them. Okay, now this is what he told them. I want you to, because you were taken out of one, made in my image, taken out into two. And he says, now I want you to come together. I want you to bring fruitfulness and increase in number. Now this is really important. Fruitfulness and purpose is important to God. If God had made this with same-sex relationships, there would be no children. There, would, there has never been a same-sex relationship. And please don't be insulted. I'm not trying to insult you. I'm just speaking the truth from what I see here from God's pattern. There's never been a a genetic process from the two humans 
that make a, and the, that takes the combination of the two same sexes. There's never a genetic mix that goes down the line because it's impossible. There's no chemistry that makes the two chemical chemicals go together to make a new genetic strand. So there's no child ever made. There's no nation ever made this way. Okay? Because it has no fruitfulness. I'm not saying that it can't have some happiness. I'm not saying it can't be there, there can't be real love. I'm going to talk about this kind of love. But I want, I want to say this. When God made man in his image, he said, I want you to demonstrate. I want you to live. Can everyone say fruitful? And I want you to increase. This is, Jesus says, I came so that you'll bear a bunch of fruit. God wants us to prosper. Amen? Now, let's get to the heart of the same-sex thing. Okay? Is same-sex marriage biblical? And I'm going to ask this. Does the Bible specifically promote it? Like, does the Bible ever say? Now, I'm not saying that the culture doesn't accept it. We know that. There are CEOs and priests and kings and the Pope and everybody says it's fine and everybody should accept it. And I don't reject you because of it. I just want to say this. Does the Bible, if you want to know what God says in his word and accept that God is the God of the Bible, does he say, yes, I want, in other words, husbands love your wives and then the next sentence is, and husbands remember to also love your husbands. Wives love your, respect your husbands and wives also respect your wives. And I'm telling you, no, it doesn't. It never, ever promotes it or talks about marriage with same sex. I'm not saying the culture can't push it. The value, I said, can't be evolutionary because it doesn't produce anything that way. And it can't be nationwide because it doesn't build nations. And cannot build a child. So does it have the same value? Maybe to you. But I'm saying from God's perspective and from evolutionary principles, the answer is no. It does not. Does the Bible indirectly improve it? In other words, is it some sideways where he kind of, you know, talks about it and says, this is okay. And the answer is no. You can go through all the Greek words. Does the Bible directly teach against it? And the answer there is yes. The Old Testament and the New Testament has literally probably 30, 20 to 30 different scriptures that speak about it. And does the Bible implicitly infirm it? And the answer, again, is no. Now, I want you to know this, because you may be already at a point where you go, you know, who cares what you think, pastor? Hey, I'll tell you right now, I don't care what I think. I told you my life and what I came with. I'm telling you what, what God says in his word. During the Bible times, the Old Testament times, you know what? They had same sex going on in the Greek culture, in the Roman culture. There would have been plenty of opportunity for Paul or Peter or James or John or Jesus to affirm, but he never did. And it's, I believe, because we're made in the image of God. The reflection is male and female coming together as a them. And then the purpose is fruitfulness and increase. There you go. All right. Let me address a couple individual ones. Does the Bible promote same-sex marriage? I, I answered it no. I don't mean to insult you. 
Do not have sexual relationships with a man as one does with a woman. This is God talking in the Old Testament. He said that's detestable. It's the opposite of what I'm like. In other words, it's, it's like when God talks about self-sex. Me having sex with myself does not reflect God interrelating with me in eternity. And that's what God is always pointing to. Man, just with man, is sameness, not a fruitful match. As Christ is with the life of the church. This is thing that naturally just brings about fruitfulness. Now, in the Old Testament, we have the heartbeat of stone the adulterous woman. In the New Testament, Jesus confronts the judgmental and he says, Hey, anyone without sin cast the first stone. Now, it seems like God rejects a lot of things that we do. How many know that's true? He doesn't like our gossip. He doesn't like our pride. And it's not as he's just walking around ticked. God is trying to show us the way of eternity. He's saying gossip won't last. Slander won't last. Pride won't last. God gave them over. Now, Romans 1, if you think that this, these scriptures here are just pointing to same sex, you're, you're completely wrong. God gives a list of about 30 to 40 different sins in here of pretty much everything. So he says it so every kind of sin is included. Why? To show us what he's, what's wrong so he can condemn us? No. He shows it so that we'll turn to him for power and life. Do I hear amen? amen. Therefore, God gave them over because... Um, Gave them over in the sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. In other words, you have a body, you have your soul that's alive with your body, but you're missing the spirit of God. And so your soul and your body are craving to satisfy itself. So you find ways to get off with your body and your soul to try to feed your soul to feel good until the next time. And God is saying, that's never going to work. It's just, a, it's a degrading of yourself. You were made to be like me. So there's a deposit of the spirit that comes with the surrender there. And it says, but they exchange that truth about God for a lie. And they start worshiping and serving created things. Rather than the creator who's forever praised. Amen. That's Paul rushing out. So that's what we do. And if you think, oh, I don't worship created things. Really? You don't? What what do you worship then? It's what's the highest thing in your heart? That's what it is. And listen, Romans one twenty six continues. He says, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchange. Now he uses the word here, natural. And you might think, well, that's not natural. I mean, isn't two men natural? Isn't two females natural? I'm not saying your love's not real. I'm just saying that God, that's not the natural way of fruitfulness. All you have to do is look at the physical design. He says they exchange natural selections for unnatural ones. People are image chasers, and they start to chase that image, which is the next possible hopeful good thing for them, rather than the image of God, which is what they're created for. Let me just tell you something. God loves you, and he has a plan for your life. He does says, in the same way men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves a due penalty for their error, or some translations say perversion. Now, if you see Paul's focus, 
He's talking about same-sex activity, not same-sex desire. Once you've had a taste of something, you can have more. And I'm telling you, there's no limit to what will relieve you. Okay? I think I gave that example for my own life. How many are still with me? Come on, raise your hand if you're still with me. Maybe you disagree with me, that's okay. Listen to what he says. He says, and we're getting right here to the questions. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now listen, listen to what he writes down. Do not be deceived, not adulterers, not men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers. Can everyone just say slanderers? slanderers. If you've slandered someone in the last year, raise your hand. Okay. You, won't, you want me to say you want to inherit the kingdom of God? Because I'm telling you, watch what the, if that's, listen to this sentence. He said, never swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you, can you say me? Were washed. We were sanctified. We were justified. Right? In the name and by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? How many glad you're saved? Come on. Listen. By the Spirit of God. I know there's a lot of sins on that list. I wrote that down. But thank God we have Jesus. Amen? Now, I told you that there's image. You know, I talked about, you know, purpose. Then I'm going to get to blessing. But I want to just tackle a few things. What about love between the sexes? Does God want men to love men? You're going to be surprised my answer, but the answer is yes. God wants us to have deep, spiritual, emotional, healthy love. And I'm telling you, I have deep love relationships with men in my life. But he does not want me to have sex with them. Okay? That'd ruin it. And I'm not saying that there, I told you, I have no homosexual tendencies personally. I never have. So I, I don't mean to judge you. But I'm just saying is you can find satisfaction if you want to. That's what the Bible says. Listen, does God want women to love women? The same goes, yes. Caring relationships, meaningful, emotional love. But if you go to the sex part, you might enjoy it, but God's saying, but there's not going to be a fruitfulness. There'll be an emptiness. Does God want men to love women? Yes. Women, I love you, but I'm not going to have sex with you. Okay? And there's nothing wrong with having deep relationships with a woman. Now, you have to be careful, you know, how, how you go there because you don't want it to become intimate to the point of, the, of beyond the limit. But we can have deep love. Okay, and women with men in the same way. Does God want adults to love children? But you cannot have sexual relationships with them. This is what God says. It it says you can't marry them. And who knows, in a hundred years, adults may marry children in our culture. And they'll ask the pastors of those days, why don't you perform the ceremony? Trust me, you do not want me to perform that ceremony. Because I will believe that it's wrong. Not because of Eric, but because of what I believe the child, according to God. All right, the blessing. 
Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The blessing is God changes us eternal. Okay? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, making her holy, cleansing her, right? Without stain, holy and blameless. Okay? And then he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. He says, so can everyone say image? And can you say, what's the other word? What? Okay, them. Okay, my mind totally went blank. But he said, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. He's not going, marriage, 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 yeah. He's saying, husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husband. Let me tell you what I'm telling you about. This is a mystery. But what I'm talking about, really, is Christ and the church. Your marriage is a reflection of that. Because it's image and it's them. We are image chasers. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, have been called according to his purpose. God conformed us, want us to be conformed to the image of a son. And I tell you right now, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Image, purpose, blessing. Now, go ahead and get those questions back there. And I'm going to tackle just a few questions that I think people will ask. How many got something out of this, even if you didn't agree? Come on. You got the least you understood what, where we are on this. Like I said, the church does not hate you. We are not against you. There's no political agenda here. God loves people, and he wants to redeem them. We have to come to God, okay? Now, the first question here is, but I was born this way. Isn't that true? And I say, maybe, maybe not, but Jesus calls us to be born again. Amen? If you're in Christ, you don't hold on to your old life. You're a new creation. Amen? We're not going to, you're going to go, well, let me tell you who I am. I like this and I do this. We can't define you by what kind of food you eat, what kind of sex you want, and how you, do, how you aim your love at. God says when you come to him, you're not just born this way, but you're born again. Amen? Um, I'm genetically created this way through my DNA, and, and, and I, I'm telling you, your soul and free will are not stored in your genetic material. It's an eternal, invisible, transcendent being that you are that will live eternally no matter what you do. You will live eternally. Whether you kill yourself or not, you'll still stay alive before God. So if you think you're genetically created away, you're just denying that your own soul is and you do have a soul. And again, is same-sex marriage equal in value to biblical marriage? Now, I told you, not according to God because he never mentions it. He doesn't talk about it. He doesn't say, oh, and these, and, you know, and Paul and Barnabas got married, you know, when they were in Ephesus. It's just, it's not in his language at all. And there is same sex going on in the Bible. Not according to evolution because it's never produced in a nation, like I said before. DNA between two males that may be married or not married will never mix together to make something. Ever. Ever. And the same thing with females. You'll have to, so the whole line of our offspring from now on will always be opposite sex coming together, whether in marriage or not. That's where it'll come from, from then on. So you'll have to borrow from our world to make that happen. And not according to history, because no nation's ever been built by it. And it's same sex. This is what I'll finish with, and I'll take the open questions. I'm sorry I'm a little late. Will you give me a little grace? 
Is same-sex marriage, isn't same-sex marriage an issue of equality and justice? And I understand this. You know, and, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you, be honest with you. Some Christians in the name of Christ have treated the homosexual world with such um, unchristlikeness. It's, it's really, do you think Christ came in to look for the people who were the adulterous and the homosexual and treated them badly? And I'm telling you, he dined with them. I'm not saying that he embraced their life. He said, go and sin no more. But he loved them. And he drew them. Should people of all sexual orientations, whether transgender, whatever, be equally loved within our American culture? Can everyone say yes? It, should they be equally able to make their own decisions about their own lifestyle? Uh, absolutely. There is nobody. I, I don't go into our own church and walk through and what kind of sex do you have and what kind of positions are you using? Are you doing, are you doing oral sex or you're not doing oral sex? We don't walk, we don't walk through that. Okay? They should be allowed. Or should they be allowed to make a living and live in peace and security? Can you say yes? Should they be deeply loved by Christians? Yes. And can they be born again and saved? Anyone who receives Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord can be saved. They will be saved. Okay? But everyone who believes that Jesus the Christ becomes a child of God, they also overcome the world. They also don't make a practice of sinning. In other words, if you've been born again, you know that God begins to convict you of your unrighteousness. Amen? How many hate that process but love that process? How many have stuff that God's convicting you of right now? Okay, if it's sex, raise your hand. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that was my humor side, by the way. Okay, and God does offer um, direction. Jesus is our only hope. Paul says that who's going to save you from this body to death? Praise be to God through Jesus Christ. Okay. Well, first of all, I don't want to judge what brought you to the decision. I, I don't want to judge the person who wrote it, whether for yourself or for someone else. Um, of the decision-making and the turmoil of trying to find out who you are. I'll go back to the very first thing I made, is that you were made in the image of God. And he's the only one that can define you. If you've looked to your own gender's image and been disappointed, whether by attraction or not, you will start looking for other images that you can start to serve and start to chase after. And whether you've already taken the steps or not, I tell you, you start clean when you go to God and you say, Lord, I accept your salvation. And then you devoid yourself of your own agenda and say, Lord, would you steer my sexuality? And then you look to his word for the answers. And trust me, I know, I know there's some complicated issues that are not easy to answer in a two-minute question and answer. But ultimately, God made the male and he made them female. That's what he says. But there is more than just male and female because there are many people that feel, you know, I know women and I've known women who feel like, gosh, men have all the freedom in our culture and power. They, they want to be like men. And it's not because God says, I want the men to rule over all the women. It's because of the culture and the sin nature. Just, you know, like I, you know, People pursue callings in their life that don't fit them at all because they just got to make ends meet so they don't even know who they are. Well, the same thing happens in our sexuality. Sometimes we don't know who they are. If you are that person, I'd love to have a conversation with you after to talk a little bit more about it. But God knows who you are. Let him define you. Okay? And it's going to be what he made you to be. Okay? 
It is impossible for those to be born again and to continue practicing sin. In other words, no matter what I do, if I try to give myself to a deviant lifestyle, no matter what it is, when I mean deviant, it deviates away from what God has. No matter what I do, because I'm saved, God's not going to leave me. He continues to work on me and drive me toward righteousness. If, not, you, if, if that's not true, if that's not what you're experiencing, then you have not been born again by the Spirit of God. And you may just have got a mental, I think Christianity kind of seems true and I like going to church, but you've never accepted him as Savior and Lord. Part of Jesus being Lord is that his ways dictate how I live. Trust me, I hate it just as much as you do sometimes. But, but trust me, God's ways always are right. So I would say that person who continues to do that with no regard has not either not known the Lord um, or God's still working a deep sense of repentance that, that will shine in its due time. Well, the Bible says that if someone is acting in an ungodly way, 1 Corinthians 5 kind of points out sexually, but they continue to act like there's nothing wrong. Like we've had people at our church, you know, they're engaged in wife swapping or something like that. And they, they, they claim a faith, and I'm not saying that they don't have a faith, but they're not in a state of repentance in it. The Bible says don't associate with them as if you're associating with someone who's in fellowship with God and with the church. That, that, that you have to take a stand on it. Doesn't, so if, in other words, if I'm constantly lying, I'll take another example of just morality, I'm lying, 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 the Bible says you need to confront them. If the person goes, well, I'm going to continue lying, the Bible says don't associate with them, treat them as an unbeliever. And that's what part of 1 Corinthians 5, if someone is acting sexually immoral and have no repentance, then they're not making Jesus as Lord. They shouldn't feel a security like everything's going fine when it's not. It's like a kid acting you know, acting out in some evil way and you're saying, yeah, hang out with all of our kids. What do you do? Oh, I smack other kids. Oh, come on in. That's no problem. No, you're going you're gonna to set it apart so that they know that there's repentance needed, even though it's a hard conversation. And trust me, I've had conversations like that with people. I said, this is what God says. And they go, I don't care. Well, then obviously you're not being driven toward the things of God. But if they were struggling with it and go, man, I know it's wrong, but I'm struggling with it, then we'll work with you till the ends of the earth. Amen? Amen. Okay. Um, Okay, well, there are some senses that sins are all the same. And and there's certain scriptures where where if you're trying to justify yourself by obedience to the law, God gives an example. He says, if you disobey one part of the law, it's as if you disobeyed them all. So if you disobeyed lying adultery, murder, everything is attributed to you because one violation is equal. Having said that, everyone has common sense that a serial murder killing 52 young babies under the age of one versus someone who called his brother a poop head (laughs) is probably not the same degree, okay? And we don't judge the homosexual like judgmentalism. We judge it based on what God says of what is his ways. And we just judge in love. This says, we let me point you to what God says. If someone is not open to that, then first of all, you don't respect that there's diversity in opinion in the culture. And two, even if you don't respect the diversity in the culture, you're saying that you don't agree with biblical truth, and I can live with that. 
you know, I was, I didn't come to biblical truth until God opened my eyes. I pray that your eyes would be opened. But I'm not, the Bible's not changing its mind about what it says. It says what it says, and so it says it. And God loves you, and he loves me, and he healed me from all kinds of stuff, and he can heal you. And I've, maybe it's hard to acknowledge that homosexuality might be one of those things. But that's where I ask you, don't hold on to one thing. Surrender everything to God. If you lose your life, Jesus says you'll find it. But if you try to find it and hold on to everything that you are, no, I like this sex and I like this. And well, good, good grief, I love a lot of things that I've had to give up. One of them is cheese recently. <laughs> I love cheese. But I'm going to get fatter and die if I could keep eating cheese. Okay. Oh, it's real simple. You love people. Uh, our mission for our church is real simple. Love God and love people. Yeah. I, I'm not there to go into someone's sexual lifestyle and say, you know what, you, know, you need to get rid of all this. The love of God and the message of grace is the message. That message will work itself out to a true believer to find redemption. But it also means that we speak the truth in love. You can't come off and pretend like... It's not a sin in God's eyes when it is in God's eyes. I know it's a difficult thing to say in our culture and it'll become more difficult. But just because I say that God says it's wrong doesn't mean that I don't think God paid for it. And I don't think that God can redeem you from it no matter how strong and deep your sexual love and just plain love feels man to man or woman to woman. I understand. Not, not because I've experienced, but I've understood, you know, that, you know, multiple ways of sex. So I understand how deep and rich it is, but I'm going to tell you, you're not going to find any meaning in that. Not even in regular marriage. You're true, even if you're married and you don't know the Lord, trust me, your spouse is not the answer. Your answer is found in God alone. And he'll make your marriage right. He'll change you. Why not be open to God? Let him heal you and become who you're supposed to be. You've given it your own life and your own appetites a shot. Why don't you give God a shot? Well, for, for one thing, is respect the image of God, that everybody's made in the image of God. And don't get on your high horse. Like, you know, I'm a state of perfection, I'm a Christian. We could easily become those, one of those churches that go, we believe in marriage, we believe in honesty. Yep. How many know we have liars in our midst? How many have lied about something in the last year? Come on, be honest. You're lying now. <laughs> So we can't just stick up our virtue. And we have to understand that it's a very difficult thing, message that we're saying. It's that this is a hard message in our culture at this time. It's very difficult and very almost um, insulting. And so just like when I came to Christ, God worked. I was one foul-mouthed person. God didn't clean me up on the outside. He cleaned me up on the inside. And the last thing is you have to speak the truth. You can't baloney people. You have to tell them the truth. This is what God says. I understand it's unpopular, and I don't mean to be offensive, but if God's words offends you, there's nothing I can do about that. Okay? And we have to deeply love people like God does. Um, we should teach our kids what the Bible says. Okay? And understand that the human condition is fallen. It's not just sex. How many struggled with pride? 
How about bitterness, unforgiveness? It isn't like sex is the one sin that God is just against. God is against everything against his image. I would teach my kids that way and that if he saw, if, if he or she, my, one of my sons and daughters saw a couple that was there, that they would give them the respect that they're due made in the image of God. And understand that, that, that just because God has condemned behavior, he's also paid for the behavior. And that we accept people Listen, how many of you, when you first started coming to the church, had sin in your life in some way? Okay, well, get out. <laughs> out! Come on. Come on. That's, that's not going to happen. The Bible says, accept one another as Christ accepted you. Okay? It doesn't mean God's going to keep you there, and I answered the other question previously. Okay? This is the great thing about Christianity. It's not going to change because God is unchanging. Now, if you don't believe in God, I understand. You're just going to go these old-fashioned thoughts. We got these modern new thoughts that are so cool. Like which ones? I've watched the celebrities. They don't even know how to keep a marriage together longer than a year. Okay? Good Housekeeping did a thing on sexual satisfaction. You know who the most sexually satisfied women are in the world? Born-again Christian women, by a long shot. So why should we learn our sex from porn? <laughs> Sorry to be so graphic. I did tell you PG-13. <laughs> Listen, God has a plan for a life. We need to turn to him. He will show us and walk and show us how to walk that out. <sighs> the demonic has a real clear mandate. It's stealing, it's killing, and it's destroying. Stealing. And it's not just sex, but, but God steals our purpose. He steals our image. He steals our identity. The, de the devil does. The devil steals all these things. Right? And God gives, wants to give us the opposite in life. Now, what the world tells you is that you need to pursue it and you'll find it. That's one of the lies, the way that the enemy influences the culture you can find it put on that tv show how to find success in your life oh i can't wait to see it then they show you kobe bryant's house or something you know and it's kind of like and people pursue these things and when i was a drug dealer i had tons of money you can buy anything i'm telling you money's no answer it's nice to have but i'm telling you i know the filthy rich and they repent up here just like everybody else okay because it doesn't help so the demonic works in the fact that it's trying to mar who your identity is and who your image is with all kinds of things, not just sex. It's trying to keep you away from the Spirit of God. It's trying to give you a relief physically, whether male, female, male of male, female, female, male, female, male, 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 female, 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 and any other combination. All those things will feed the flesh it will not deliver the soul. The enemy as a spirit beast in the air promotes this so that you will not turn to God. Okay? He can work individually sometimes with just a spirit of lust. The Bible says in the end of the age we will judge the angels and we will see them in some way lined up and we'll sense that spirit and go, I know you. I remember you drove me. And there will be a judgment of the angels by men. And the Bible says that. Listen, why do you want to deal with demons and angels anyway? 
when you have the creator of the demons and angels. He's a lot more powerful. You think the little spirit guides can do stuff? Wait till you see what God can do. He can squash them with his boom, just like that. And God works on the inside and he works outside and he's always working on your benefit. The enemy is trying to steal from you. He's trying to kill things in you. He's trying to kill your hope. Uh, I was talking to someone afterwards of last week who's from the same-sex marriage who, or same-sex relationship who's talking about the struggle. And they go, I thought that the same-sex relationship would bring up that there was unfaithfulness there, there was unfaithfulness there. Listen, there's unfaithfulness everywhere but one place, and that's God. Amen. He will always be faithful. Your pastor will let you down, right? Your leaders will t- let you down eventually, but God will never let you down. Why not turn to the creator of your soul and let him tell you what your sex is, what your life is, what your purpose is, what your identity is, and leave everything on the ground, okay? Well, individual step, as I'm going to close here, is will you surrender everything, including your sexuality, to God? Will you surrender it? Whatever it is, surrender it to God. Two, the Bible says that you have to acknowledge that God is true. And part of that is acknowledging that it's sin. If you know God's word, then you know that it's called sin. Just like my imperfect marriage is sin. I have to confess things in my imperfect marriage. As I confess sin, the Bible says, he who confesses sin will be cleansed from all unrighteousness. And then understand that the body of Christ here is a service to you. You're not just supposed to walk with God by yourself. It's the body of Christ. And I would suggest that you get to, if you're local here, connected to our church, then I would go to base camp and learn the basic fundamentals of getting to know this God who loves you and cares about you and find out your identity from him. And that's where I would start. Father, I thank you for your purposes and your miracles. You are the everlasting God. Lord, I know this is tough. And Lord, I know that some people in genuine relationships may feel hurt by what I've said. I want to tell you, like I said at the beginning, no matter where you are, God loves you. I just challenge you to open your heart to him. Can't you see that you need forgiveness, redemption? And all around this room, I just want to give you a chance to surrender. Whether you've done it before or not, I'm talking to every soul. If you desire a surrender and you're willing to give up everything, Because God's already given up everything for you. He died for you. He paid for you. Now you're saying, Lord, I want you to be my Savior. And I want you to be my Lord. Would you steer my life? I can't do it. Not to prosperity. Not to production. Not to fruitfulness. If that's you, surrender. Just You put both hands up and surrender. Just all across this room. And if whether you've done it or not before, just raise your hand and say, Lord, I surrender. Everything that I am to you. Bring me freedom. Bring me deliverance. Show me who I am. Lord, I've defined myself, the world. I've created images that I've chased after. Lord, I've done it too. Lord, but now you are the image that I'm created in. Form me through Christ in me. Thank you that my sins are forgiven through the death of Christ. The God incarnate who became flesh lived like me and paid for all my sins. Now I am forgiven forever. So you won't hold that against me and you live in me. Cleanse me from all my unrighteousness, whether I see it as unrighteousness or not. Deliver me. If that's your prayer, can you say amen? Amen. Amen. God bless. I'll stay here afterwards.